apex of human experience conceived in a virgin womb. Heaven's perfection breathes his first in a bar. The fullness of God beats in the heart of a helpless infant. This is the genius of his birth. The requirements of the law outmatched by the righteousness of God. Sovereign simplicity confounds the wisdom of this world. Relentless mercy humbles the proud and heals the broken. This is the genius of his life. The light of the world wrapped in our darkness. Freedom and strength bound in our weakness. The peacemaker pierced, the creator destroyed, the power to save spent not for himself. This is the genius of his cross. Death's signature victory stripped by love's ultimate triumph. Hell's finest hour eclipsed by the dawning of grace. Limitless hope lives again in all who believe. This is the genius of resurrection. The lamb slain so that man no more may die. The suffering servant before whom all will bow. His finished work is the fountain of all new beginnings. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. This is the genius of Jesus. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the birds. He created the fish, the oceans. At the culmination of his creation, he created man, both male and female, in his own image and likeness, with feelings and with thoughts. He created creatures so that he can fellowship with them, and he put them in a garden, a paradise, a perfect place where all their provisions were provided for. There was no sickness, no suffering. In fact, in the cool of the day, he would come and walk with them. And then came the serpent. And he told the woman that there was something better than what God had said. She believed the lie. And then she sinned together with her husband who was with her. Their sin took them away from a paradise that God had made for them. Into a world where now they had to work for provision. Their bodies started to get sick. And then they started to age. And for generations, men and women have tried to be closer to God, bridging the gap between holy God and themselves, daily sacrifices, living right or living by the law. But above all things, they now knew what it was like to live life at their own. Even in their sin, God loved the people that he'd created. Although sin had separated God from his people, he pursued them. For generations, God sent men and women to speak to his people. They called the people to repent, to turn to God, to decide to choose him, and to depend on him. But over and over, God's people would turn away from God and choose to serve other gods instead. 
But regardless, the heartbroken creator of the world decided to continue with his plan to reconcile his people to himself. The Bible says in Isaiah, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. God sent hope to man in the form of a child. His name was Jesus. The child grew to be a man, and not just any man. He brought healing to the sick, sight to the blind, provision to the needy. When anyone came into contact with this man, he loved them and showed compassion to them. It was clear he was unlike any other man. When he taught, he spoke as one having authority. He even forgave sins. Hope began to arise in the people. Was this the man that was going to rule the world, the king forever? And they would have crowned him king until the unthinkable happened. It was as if everything fell apart. In a moment's time, in a moment's prime, as Friday came, Jesus waited, anxious, pacing with a resolve like no other, praying in the garden, fully man yet fully exposed, no special robe or clothes. See the flogging, mocking, spitting, beating. They trade him blow for blow, but he's open, ready, willing. Jesus letting go, confined and mangled, but mentally they could not strangle him, entangle him at the soul-thudding sound of every flesh whip. Nature lost its grip, earth shook, sky split, barely breathing, buckling knees, nailed to a cross between two thieves, his arms wide as the sea. Do you believe? Fading slowly eyes swollen and weak peering through those eyes they know me as sweat and blood collide spilling out his side breathed last breath it is finished man of sorrows and honor unto thee. 
from heaven God's own Son to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed Him to a tree. Oh, the rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto My debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the Son sets free. sunset, the crowds dispersed, and now came the waiting. What is it about waiting that seems to play with our minds? Between the time a promise is made and the time that a promise is fulfilled can be painful. Anxiety, fretting, will it come to pass? Imagine what these early followers of Jesus must have been thinking. What just happened? What do we do now? We left everything to follow this man. We left our families. We left our businesses. We lost reputation. We had expectations, hopes, dreams. And now what? And all of us experience this to some degree in life. We start out as children and we have these great 
dreams of how our lives are going to turn out, and then for some reason life doesn't go according to plan, does it? Our story takes one turn and then, then another, and suddenly we find ourselves years later at a destination that wasn't even on our map. Those words were spoken, it is finished. But the disciples might as well have heard, it's over. They could look up at the cross and see their hope crucified. No more life, no more breath. He was taken down from the cross, a limp body, and laid in a tomb. And as if to make a point that things are never going to change, a big, heavy stone was set in place to seal the grave. And these are the times of testing, aren't they? You can clearly see the pain of your past, but your, fut- your, your vision of your future, it's obscured by that big, heavy rock. So you wait day after day after day. But then there's a point in this story where it takes a turn. It doesn't just end with an unbearably heavy rock holding Jesus down. Something happened in that tomb. God took that which was dead and breathed life right back into him. The offering for our sin was made. The punishment for our peace was accomplished. The stone of defeat was rolled back, and it became a memorial stone from God saying, it's not over yet. Jesus rose from death to life, and it's here that we celebrate because that's when his story becomes our story. Because he lives, we can live. Because he overcame, we overcome. Whatever was written on the pages of your past can all be turned around Because your story is not yet over either. I was trying to do life my own way. I didn't know who I was. I always struggled with being alone. I was on the outside looking in. I was addicted and bound by pornography. I hated my parents for the longest time and blamed them for my hurt and pain. I was unforgiving. Then God changed my heart. Then God showed me that true life begins when I let go. Then God showed me that he's the God who sees me. Then God showed me his unconditional love. Then God forgave me, restored me, made me home. I found out that God was my father and he would never leave me or forsake me. Then I found out that God is with me. He's my portion and he is my strength forever. Then Jesus brought me close to himself. Now I'm part of his family and his kingdom. And now I have an identity. And that love restored my family. And now I am free to love others fully. Today I live free and alive in Christ. Take
I think it's so important that we understand with Easter that it's not simply coming to hear the Easter story. Because as long as it's just the Easter story, it doesn't change us. I think what God wants to communicate with us is that that story became our story. That there is an intersection where when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't do it for himself. He didn't go there because he needed to or he had a reason on his own. But the Bible says that there was a great exchange that took place. That when he went to the cross, he actually, he took me with him. He took you with him. And that when he was up there, he suffered for all of our sin. He took all of our pain. In fact, he took all of our past. The reality is we're all guilty before the Lord. We're all guilty of sending him to the cross. But yet he did it willingly. And then when he was laid in the tomb, it wasn't just Jesus going into the tomb, but he's communicating something with that. That when he was laid in that tomb and that, that rock was seal, that sealed the tomb, sealed the doorway there, it shut him in. But the Bible says that the debt the death he died, and then he, he was buried in such a way that the body of sin might be done away with. That everything that he paid the price for, that was our price to pay, he said that was completely accomplished, but he put it in that, that tomb, and he sealed it up so that it would be completely done away with, so that your past, your failure, your sin, mine, that, that it's, it's not something to to come back to haunt us or for us to carry with us. But he sealed it with that big heavy rock. Now, in the story from the Gospels, you read that after Jesus was crucified, that some of the women who ministered to him went to go anoint his body and prepare his body as was the custom. And so in Mark chapter 16, it says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam went out and purchased burial spices so they can anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Luke 24 says, So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, and they bowed their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. 
so, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered what he said. You think about this story. These women are coming here to minister to Jesus, his body though. All their hopes and dreams dashed. And so what are they thinking? Well, we might as well make the best of it. We really expected things to turn out different, but they didn't. How many of us can relate to that in life? We really expected or hoped that things would turn out different, but they didn't. And so they have their, their oils and their scents, and they're going to anoint the body. Sometimes we try to dress up the past so that it doesn't look so bad, don't we? Try to see it in a better light, or at least keep it from getting any worse. You know, you can dress up death, you can spray it with perfume, but it still stinks. So as they're coming, they're sitting there saying, who's going to roll away this stone? This heavy weight, this burden that we really can't get past ourselves. Sometimes life is like that too, the things that hang on to us. And we don't look forward to dealing with them. We hope somebody else would, would solve the problem for us. And so we just sit there wondering, ah, oh, what's going to happen? How are we going to get past this? And so many people live their lives there. They live their life with this huge barrier, this huge obstacle they've been carrying around. They don't know how they're going to get free. They're looking at this stone, and I think it's just so interesting because there's two sides to this stone. They're looking at it from the outside, and all they see is that it represents death, but, but they don't know that on the other side of that stone, something was happening that really represented life. And as they're approaching it, they're coming up, and they see something's changed. As they get there, the angel says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Reminds me of that old gospel song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Did you sing that in church? Oh, I, I didn't either, but I didn't grow up in church. But so often we're doing the same thing, looking for love in too many faces, <laughs> looking for love. But yet, why do we seek the living among the dead? Why do we try to find another broken person to make us whole? Why do we try to find something that's not solid to, to, to fill our emptiness? Why is it that we're trying to find somebody else to tell us, you mean something, I'm proud of you, you've accomplished, you've attained, I'm proud of you. Why are we trying to do that, to fill something on the inside? Why do we seek the living among the dead? If I can make enough money, I won't be like my parents. If I marry the right person, then maybe they'll love me. If I can have another child, then maybe I'll, I'll feel fulfilled. Maybe if I get the right job, or maybe if I can just do this or that. And we're seeking the living among the dead because those aren't the things that are going to change our story or to satisfy us. We saw in that video, we heard from people who shared about their story, and my story. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't know the Lord. I had friends that invited me 
and I'd go here and there. So I, I believed in God, but I didn't know him. When I was about 11 years old, I watched my parents' marriage of 19 years fall apart. I watched them uh, every night fighting and just they're unable to reconcile my dad drinking every night and getting drunk. And, and he wasn't an angry drunk. He was, he was really a pitiful drunk. He would cry because he was so broken to see his marriage falling apart and his family falling apart. And, and he didn't know how to fix it. And he didn't know God and knew, know that somebody would roll away the stone for him. And so... I remember the day that my dad packed up all his stuff and then he grabbed his toolbox because my dad was a, an iron worker. And uh, when you leave a job site, you take your tools because you're not coming back. If, you're com- if you leave your tools, it means you're not done yet. But if you take your tools, that means you're moving on. And I remember watching my dad take his tools from the house. And my story was taking a turn that was unexpected. He packed it up, he got in his car, he drove down to the end of the court, turned around, came back by the house, paused, and drove on. I'm 11 years old. Nobody's there to say it's going to be okay. Nobody's there to say, you know what, you're going to make it through this. You think that I would break down and fall apart, but at 11 years old, I hardened my heart and I said, this isn't going to affect me. It was my coping mechanism. I was a survivor. And I carried that on. 17 years old, I had a friend who had been bringing me to church, and uh, we had also been partying together, but he, he had a praying grandma. <laughs> and praying grandmas, they have heat-seeking prayers, and they will find you around a corner. They will show up at the party. They're not afraid to go in when the keg is flowing. They're not afraid to wade, you know, wade through the smoke to get to you. Those prayers of praying grandmas will find you. And she had been, become my, my grandma, my praying grandma, too. He had a mom who cooked good, too, so all the more reason to hang out with John and his family. At 17 years old, my story took another turn, and that's when Jesus rolled the stone away. That's when I went from death to life. Soon after that, as God continued to minister to me and I received the love of the Lord, I found out the word of God says things like he takes the solitary and he puts them in a family. It says this, that when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me in. God said, I'm a father to the fatherless. And he changed my story. That's my story, though. But the reason why that's my story is because that was his story. And his story became my story. You see, it's my story changed and became this because of his story. And I think that's what God's wanting to communicate to us this morning, that every single one of us are included in this story. It's not his story. It's not just my story. It's our story. We are a people who share a common experience because we have a Savior who changed our story.